0: Lord, make your word come to life. Let it penetrate our hearts. Let it speak truth into our minds. If need be, Lord, let us, let it convict, change, and if it's your will, let it challenge us. Lord, move anything aside that might get in the way, myself included. Prepare our hearts and our ears and our eyes to hear from you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Second Kings chapter 5 starts off with Now Naaman. Naaman's our character. It's the name with three A's. N-A-A-M-A-N. Naaman. Let's get some uh, understanding of his situation here. It says Naaman, he was the captain of the army of the king of Aram. A captain, he's uh, equivalent to a, a general. In modern day Navy, he would be the admiral. He was way up there. He was the man when he snapped his fingers, he expected people to move. A man of power, a man of position, a man of might, a man that can make things happen. And he reported, it says, directly to the king of influence, of position. Aram, you might be more familiar with, today it's Syria. In that day, it it was a a big providence. It was a powerful providence. It was a pagan society. They did not believe in God. They worshipped idols. But it was a really nice place. In the center of Syria was Damascus, and that's where Naaman was from. Damascus was a desirous place to live. If you ever wonder, where would be a nice place? In these days, they'd be like, "I, I would want to be in Damascus it was green and lush through the city. There was two rivers that ran through kind of where Damascus was built that came down from the hills of uh, Lebanon and they were beautiful and the topography was lush and green and and rolling hills. It was a city that prided themselves in modern day advancement such as music and, and art and academia and architecture. I mean, the only thing better than living in such a place is to live in such a place and have position, power, and wealth. Yeah? That's Naaman. That's Seward being introduced to here. Captain of the army of the king of Aram. It goes on in his credentials. It says he was a great man with his master, respected by those, mostly the king. Highly respected, it goes on and says. When you have respect, but you have trust. And when you have trust, you have influence. And when you have influence, you have leadership. That's what this man has. It goes on. It says, Because by him the Lord has given victory to Aram, the country. This is the common grace bestowed upon a man that we all experience, all mankind experiences common grace, but he was so gifted and so talented and so effective that their entire country benefited and reaped the harvest because of this man. I mean, looking pretty good, yeah? Pretty solid resume. And it goes on. It says the man was also a valiant warrior. I don't know the whole spectrum of warriors, but I'm thinking valiant is kind of the very positive side of warriors. This wasn't a armed chair general. This was a man that worked and fought and earned the respect of his people. Kind of like their modern day of Braveheart. Had the hearts of the people. And before we finish verse 1, I got to warn you that it's going to end here very abrupt. We get this picture of It's just, it's beautiful. It's like, man, what a desired life. And it's going to end, verse 1's going to end really tough. It's like Maya's testimony. And then the next day, the lady died of hunger. And it ends abruptly. It says, but he was a leper. Literally, in the original translation, see how it's italicized? But he was. It just ends with leper. It was meant to be abrupt. It was meant to shock us. It's this opposing situation going on here. He has all this, and it's saying that that's all at risk. It's being overshadowed by this one little fact that this man now is a leper. In this season of life, Naaman would have given all of this to get rid of being a leper. It was a big deal. It was a disease that caused a lot of pain. In fact, it was a disease that was... in Curable, and he had a death sentence. It will kill him. And socially, man, it was ugly. It literally rotted and decayed your skin, your feeling and everything. It, just, it, it, it ate it up. So that's the context of our story so far, and that's the condition of our man. He's a leper. He's got a lot at stake. To him a lot given, a lot can be taken Now, verse 2, the Armenians had gone out in bands and taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. This would have been common under Naaman's leadership. Small bands of their army, they were so powerful, they could just send small little squads, and they would uh, kind of pillage villages or take over land or conquer towns, and one of the spoils of wars was a little girl. This girl was captive, uh, taken in, and assigned to the house, of Naaman, and was working for Naaman's wife. Verse 3 She, the slave girl, said to her mistress, that's Naaman's wife, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Huh? Here's a powerful man that has a great position, and he just hears now of a solution. Why I might not be stuck like this? Have you ever been in a position where things seem grim? You're like, man, I don't know how I got in this situation. This is horrible. There's no way out. I don't know what I'm going to do. The road ends. And somehow, at least in my life, it seems like in that ninth inning, the last hour, the Lord provides a way out. Like, wow, that's awesome. Thank you. But oftentimes when that happens, our man logic takes over, and we try to start now fixing everything ourselves. I think that's what Naaman does. He's like, oh, there's a prophet in, in Israel that can heal me? And he goes to work quick, trying to put things together, using his position and power and money and influence to solve it. Look at verse 4. You'll see it. Naaman went and told his master. That's the king. Right? I mean, I've got a problem. I've got a relationship with the king. He's influential. I'm going to leverage that relationship to help make this work. And you can kind of sense his excitement here. Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. I mean, right? She said there's this magician or a doctor or prophet, something, but he can heal me. I want to do it. And the king being a, another man of power and position, right? These are two guys. This is, this is what it looks like when we try to solve problems without God, using our own strength and our own might. And the king said, go on and go. I'll, uh, you know, I'm a king. I'll send the letter to the king of Israel. You know, king to king. We can do this type of stuff. I'm going to speak to him at, you know, the same position and authority. I'll I'll kind of get you in there. Don't worry about it. That was great news for Naaman. It says he departed. And Naaman had some more tricks up his sleeves. Okay, I'll use my uh, position and and my relationships and, and the power I have access to. And also I'm going to use my wealth. Look at him. He he says, he departed and took with him ten talents of silver. I'm sure most of you know how much a talent is. Seven hundred and fifty pounds of silver. And, if that wasn't enough, six thousand shekels of gold. Two hundred and forty pounds of gold. As of Thursday, the price in America for gold, this would equivalent to $4.8 million of gold. I'm ready to barter. King, you write the letter. Yeah, I'll get ready to go. Let me pack up a few things. I'll make sure we seal the deal. I'll get it done. And it goes on and says, Not only that, the silver and gold, and he brings ten changes of clothes. And the changes of clothes isn't just like stuff he would wear. This would better translate into, these would be like robes or coats, and these were reserved for the one percenters. Only the wealthy people could afford to have one of these types of coats. They were precious. They were rare. They were a, a social symbol of wealth. You would wear this with pride. And they were so special and rare, you would keep it, and you would be something you would pass down generation to generation symbol of wealth. And, and old Naaman has how many of them? <laughs> Ten to barter with. This guy's ready to do some serious trading. So he, he packs up the Wells Fargo coach. He grabs all his soldiers. Um, they get on their way. They go over to Israel. He pulls up to the palace in verse 6. It says he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now, as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Simple and straightforward. Verse 7. When the king of Israel read the letter, huh? He tore his clothes and he said, Am I a god to kill and to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? He's totally discombobulated. It's a good thing Naaman was from Syria because Syria was a little more lax on leprosy. Israel? If you had leprosy in Israel, the priest would look at you and you would be kicked out. I mean, they knew that this was bad news. They wanted nothing to do with it. And if you had a skin condition, shot of a doubt, they would look at you and, and you'd be kicked out of society. Syria tolerated it more. He was in the early stages. King sitting there thinking, what do you think I am? God? He knew leprosy. This is uncurable. It's interesting. The king was so close to getting it right. He, he admitted that man can't do this. This is a God thing, but unfortunately, he continues to try to do it by his own strength and his own might. I, who am I to what kill a man and raise him back up from the dead? And his, his again, it's this man's trying to man's way of dealing with with a problem, and it never works out good. And look at the the rest of verse seven. But considering now, right, this is the king's strategy and see how he is seeking a quarrel against me the king's putting this all together i know who naaman is he's the captain of the army they're sending him a a letter for me to heal him i can't i only god could do that oh my goodness i know what they're up to they're seeking a quarrel because they're going to put me in a bad position if i can't heal them they're going to have reason to attack they're going to have reason worse yet to kill me And it says that he tears his clothes, which for a king was a symbol of, I mean, just things are falling apart. It would be, and I appreciate our modern day world leaders, it would be a tough job. The pressure. And this king was used to that pressure. But it would be equivalent to like pushing the panic button, calling in the senior cabinet to the war room. To rip your clothes as a king means that things are in disarray. This is bad news trying to do it by his own strength. Verse 8. Now what happened when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, Why have you torn your clothes? Now now let him come to me, and, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. How the kind of the government was set up. The king took care of kind of all the day-to-day things in Israel of the country. And that was the government affairs, fiscal policy, um, legal issues, the military issues. And in, in Israel, the prophet was kind of set apart and was an equal to take care of the spiritual issues. And this is Elijah. This is his time in Israel to do that. Elijah was in First Kings, we've already seen him, and this is Elijah, he is the prophet for Israel at this time, and, and it would have been his job to see this, and he's like, King, what are you doing? This is a God issue, this isn't a government issue, you're never going to be able to solve this, why are you tearing your clothes? Send, send them over to me, and let's show him that there is a true living God and prophet in Israel. Good thing Elijah's here in the picture. And this is where the story gets really good. So Naaman, verse 9, came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elijah. Verse 10, And Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. Simple, clear, and concise instruction. Naaman's gone through all of this to get cured. He's at the door of the prophet, sent a messenger, It's a simple instruction. Go to the Jordan, wash, dip seven times, and you'll be clean. Look at the first part of verse 11. But Naaman was furious. Why do you think that is? Because his pride and his ego is roaring out of him. Let me paint the picture for you of what this might have looked like to Naaman. He left the castle, sent to the prophet's house, and he's got all his, his entourage with him. I mean, these are people that look up to Naaman that he's the leader of. And they pull up in their horses and chariots in the Wells Fargo coach, and they're all outside of uh, the, the, the prophet's house. And Naaman gets off his chariot and walks up. He's in full garb. This is a powerful man. This is number one in the army. He, his uniform's going to reflect that. Standing at the door, I man I'm, I'm naming. I got half an army behind me. Maybe a little weak voice in the background. Ah, oh, just just a minute. Just a minute. He used to snap in my fingers. Things happen. And, and this unassuming young, probably more like an intern, to the prophet. Uh, hello. I'm, I'm Naaman. Uh, who? Naaman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You're supposed to go to the river, to the Jordan, wash seven times and your skin will be clean. Anything else? Excuse me? Okay, thank you. Have a good day. And Naaman's like, you don't send a messenger to talk to me. I send messengers to talk to you. And his pride and ego is just flaring and bursting over himself. And how dare you? And it's an interesting thing when our pride and ego can do that, huh? A man who so desperately wanted to be cured, and now all he can think about is himself. So close. And I would love to stand arm in arm with all of you guys and just look at this point in Scripture and be like, Can you believe this guy? (laughs) Who does he think he is? Are you kidding me? You're furious? Get over yourself. And I would love to do that, but I can't do that. You know why? Because I do the very same thing. I know God's Word. I know what He's asked me and called me to do. And I stumble on it every day because of my pride. And because of my ego. And we all got to be careful. We've all got to learn something here. God is good. He he was right there, ready to heal Naaman. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy, almost always. Naaman was furious. You know, it's incredible to think. It's the biggest blessing ever that Naaman wasn't healed. He could have, the Lord, we need to know, the Lord could have healed him. Just like that. But it's, it's a huge blessing that he wasn't healed, and we're going to see why. But Naaman right now, it, it, it's furious. It says, and he went away. And it even tells us what he's thinking. It, it reinforces what I just said. It says, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me, that he would stand and call out on the name of the Lord his God. Like it, and wave his hands all over the place. And he would cure this leopard. I mean, he had big ideas here. Grandstands, lights, stage, marching band, fireworks. And the prophet of God was privileged to work on the patient of Naaman. He's doing him a favor. And then in front of everyone, giving testimony that this prophet of God would heal Naaman and we would have Naaman 2.0. And what a blessing to the world this would be. And that's his thought. Put his hands all over the place and cure the leopard. And we see his biasness here. Look at verse 12. He's going on on his rant. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Give me a break. Your waters in Israel, they're horrible. They're small and they're, they're dirty. Could I, could I not wash in my rivers and be clean? And it's true, the waters of Damascus, the rivers are nice, and the Jordan is like a mud puddle. It's not that nice. It'd be like saying take Lake Shasta, and Lake Tahoe, and Lake Elsinore, and not to offend anyone that likes Lake Elsinore, it's just not Lake Shasta or Lake Tahoe. He's like, what's wrong with Lake Shasta, or Tahoe? I, the mud puddle? Are you kidding me? I'm naming! Maybe they missed my title. Maybe they missed my suit. And it says, so he turned. This is the low point in this story. So he turned away and went away in a rage. He's now raging. Now he's defending himself. I mean... You know, I don't, this river, that river, he should have done this, said that, looked like this. If he would have came to our country, we would have treated him like this. We wouldn't have done that to him. And aren't we good at justifying our rage? I am. Boy, something happens to me, and I can just spell out a whole list of things, of the whys, the hows, and the whos, of what it should have been for me. And Naaman's going through that exercise I know all too well. He's upset and turned away in a rage. And the Lord could have healed him at any time. And the Lord could have healed him with the prophet waving his hands. The Lord could have healed him with the king. The Lord could have healed him at his own house. The biggest blessing Naaman has so far is that the Lord did not give him what he wants. If he would have got what he wants, Naaman would have been so short-changed. Think about it. God's like... Naaman, oh, my friend, your biggest problem ain't your skin condition. Your biggest problem ain't that you're failing physically. Your biggest problem is that you're not with God. And I want to restore you, brother, but not just your skin, your heart. He's saying, and for me to do that, you're just not ready, Naaman. I need you to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. I need you to take away you from the factor and let me work in you. Praise God, Naaman didn't get what he wants. And oftentimes with us, we think we know so clearly of how and what and when we should get things and how we should be treated and what that should look like. And when we don't, we get so... Serious, he and we sometimes just need to maybe be reminded that the best thing for us is not getting what we want when we want it and how we want it. Because Naaman would have been sorely mischanged if he got healed physically without the full restoration. So Naaman is going away in a, a rage, verse 13. Then his servant came near and spoke to him and said, "This is sweet, my my father. Had the prophet told you to do something, some great thing, uh, would you have not done it? That's a good question. I was thinking about this servant a lot this week, thinking." I want to surround myself with friends like this. I hope Naaman know that this was more than a servant, but a friend. It says that what he came near, saying, Naaman, I need to talk to you, and I, I don't want to say it in front of everyone. You don't want me to say this in front of everyone. And so he says he came near. I think it's dear. calls him father, an endearing, warm term. And says, Naaman, come on. If the prophet told you to do something grand, would you not have done it? If the prophet told you that you need to conquer three countries, would you not have done it? Well, Naaman's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I would. I am a military man. If, if the prophet would have told you you need to assemble for yourselves huge amounts of wealth, would you not have done it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Or if the prophet told you you need to build the biggest, tallest building in the valley, we could do that too. And he would have done those things. You know why? Because they all would have pointed back to who? Naaman. Well, Yeah. And it's the beauty of the story that God says, no, 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 let me do it. You know what you need? You need the muddy Jordan. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. I'm going to take you to the Jordan. And his servants questioning him. Kind servant. I like the fact that the servant addresses him with a question. Have you ever studied Christ's ministry? Oftentimes when he was being uh, accused or trying to be put in a corner and people were trying to trick and deceive him, he would always respond to them, have you noticed, with a question? Oftentimes. And it's a a great question he, he poses for Naaman and it must have worked. Naaman must have started thinking, man, yeah, I would have done it if it was some great noble thing. And the servant goes on at the end of 13 and says, Well, then, how much more when he says to you, Wash and be clean? He could have said, You're you're being a knucklehead. He could have said, Come on, get off your high horse. Just kindly leads him to truth. And the Lord uses this servant man mightily. Verse 14. So he went down. This is beautiful and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And I want to close with a mental or a visual. name and he is leaving, going back home. I mean, he's got the all troops with him. They're all headed home. And the servant stops and questions him. God uses them mightily and ignites his heart. And Naaman had to literally do an about-face. 180. And had to stop going where he's going and turn. And he's saying, man, all right, I'm going to humble myself, put away my pride, put away my ego, and I'm going to the Jordan. And he goes to the Jordan. And I want you to vision this with me. I'm sure he, when he went to go in the water, the first thing he took off was his sword, a symbol of power, might, He's a valiant warrior. Had to take that, put it aside. I'm sure he went on the water in just his basic undergarment, so he'd take off his uniform, his position, his authority, his place, notoriety, you name it. Take it off. And I see this valiant warrior humbling himself going in the muddy waters. Maybe it's a little slippery. I don't know. Maybe it's cold. I don't know. And in the water, and sitting there thinking, all right, Lord. And The Lord said he had to dip how many times? Bear with me. Interesting. Because I'm thinking, okay, right, Seven times. I mean, think of his soldiers up here thinking, is he going to do it? And this is the boss man. He's a valiant warrior, man. And they're like, count him, one, and can you imagine down here, Naaman, the first time he comes down and comes up, if, if it's me, I'm looking at myself thinking, okay, I got to seven times I was one, I should be 14 and a half percent better. <laughs> thinking, hey boy, I'm not seeing it. My, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of the Lord so he can ex- will exalt you in proper time. His proper time. Naaman's still in this process of being prepared, his heart being prepared to receive the Lord. He's now humbled himself and man, huge lesson for us Under in his proper time. He knew that Naaman was still being worked on, being prepared and he needed to do this apparently seven times. And I think in America we've got a lot of one time dippers as Christians. All right, did that, and I claim it, but that's probably enough. That's probably far enough. I mean, I don't want to go extreme. I'll I'll claim the title Christian, and I won't deny there's a God. He he could have looked at himself and said, man, this isn't for me. But he did, not he went down a second time, comes back up. If it's me, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's two out of seven. I should be 29% better. I'm not seeing a big difference. And for us, it's the double dipper. You know, I'll pray at large family gatherings and maybe hang up a Christian sign in the house. God's saying, no, 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 I'm working at your heart name, and I need you. For you, my son, it's seven dips. You've humbled yourselves, but now it's going to be in my timing. Are you willing to wait? Because he's saying, come on, I'm going to do it a third time. I don't know the percentage of the third time. But he's looking at himself, "Come, come on. I mean, I, this is modern day. This is us. I really gave it a good shot. I tried this whole church thing. It didn't work out. I don't seem to fit in. And he does a fourth time. Now what? It's over 50%. He's saying, I still don't see anything. He had plenty of reason to sit there and say there ah, say, this is crazy. My men are watching me. This ain't working. Fourth time, you've been around now church long enough. You even get to know some people in the church. You're like, they ain't what they, you think they are. Right? They're not all that great. Some of you seem mean. God said, no, no, no. My proper timing, amen. Hang in there, buddy. I know this ain't making sense to you, and that's the point. Because it's not about you. Humble yourself under my hand, the Lord, and he will exalt you in his proper time. And that really is hard for us to understand. In the sixth time, and right? We can keep going on the story. And then... It must have been monumental. Seventh dip. Guy comes up. He walked into Israel looking like a mess. And now this man has skin of a boy. And the almighty creator God who keeps his promises not only healed his flesh but touched and restored a man's Heart. And today in the New Testament church, the Bible says, man, you know, we don't got to go to a river, but we have a fountain of blood taken from the Yahweh. And he says, we immerse ourselves in it and we get to rise up to unblemished and clean, spotless. And we see a beautiful depiction in an Old Testament story of the redemptive plan God gives us today through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I would kindly like to give you two challenges. First, I want you to think of your testimony. Think of the people that God used in your life. I mean, with Naaman, it. it started with a slave girl. Not even named. Taking captive. But yet, she probably didn't know much, but she was raised in a home and she could just point to God. You need help? Point to God. A girl can do it. Pause on the story, parents. It's worth the extra effort to raise our kids up in the, in the way of the Lord. She must have only had a little bit of training before she was taken, because she's still a little girl. But she knew enough to point to God. And God used her. She set this whole thing in motion. The second person God used in this story, names not even mentioned, is the intern messenger boy. Used him mightily to give the instructions. Think about it. We can do that. He just, it was just a sentence he spoke. He didn't explain it. He didn't defend it. He just faithfully communicated it. Okay, this is what it says. Just go to the Jordan wash. And the last person he uses is the servant. Not named, low position. And he just kindly, in love, challenges them. He says, man, you sure? Who were the people in your lives that were that to you? First part of the challenge, identify them. If they're still with us, contact them this week. Tell them things. Tell them what God did and you appreciate it. And the second part it's not your testimony, but then I want you to think on the same lines of whose testimony can you be a part of? That God can use you just like He used these three people powerfully in their lives. And and maybe do an inventory of our hearts. Am I living in such a fashion where I'm available? Is my lifestyle of one where I have merits to point to Christ? Because He can use you too. This team to Mexico, there's a lot of people who cooked meals, the mechanic they were talking about, that were just as a part of going to Mexico as the team that actually went. God uses the whole body. So for believers, that's it. Maybe let's spend some time either thanking the person, if they're not with us, thank God. And then looking at your own life, how can you be used and available to maybe be the slave girl, the messenger, or the servant? Just faithful. Just faithful if you're not saved, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to tell you, with all the love I can muster, and as kindly and as gently, and only by the authority that is found in God's Word, that we too have a condition, a disease. We're all born with it. And there's nothing, nothing, we can do of ourselves. We can't have a position. We can't have authority. We can't have money. We can't even be good enough. Because the Bible says even the best of our deeds are just dirty laundry. And everyone who draws breath has this disease. There's nothing we can do, but there is an antidote. The Bible says it's just found at the foot of the cross. where Christ did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He says, this, what we need to do, he says, come as you are. You don't need to fix yourself up before you go to the hospital. You come as you are. He so there I can't do nothing. I strip myself of me and I give it to you so you can exalt me in your proper time. We're going to close in prayer. And afterwards, if that is you and you don't have a relationship with Christ and you just want more information, we want to come alongside you and we want to show you God's Word. It's not just a prayer. It's a relationship. And we want to show you and and meet you on that road and walk with you hand in hand to grow and foster that relationship. And we have a prayer team that's going to be up here. If you want prayer too, you can also go over there. But we would love the opportunity to do that with you. God is good. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he will exalt you and me and your spouse and our kids and our parents in this proper time. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful For your redemptive plan, for your son, for dying on the cross, for loving us while we did not love you, for thinking that we're worthy enough, for believing in us, for saying, I know the plans I have for you, to give you a hope and a future. Let us cling to that. And to do that, let us remove ourselves and our pride and our ambition our desires and our thoughts. Lord, let us live by the strength that you provide. Lord, I pray for the families and the the couples, the relationships that are represented in this room. Lord, that you would strengthen them, tie them and bind them and grow them. Lord, that we could live powerfully in this community, whether it's in Mexico or whether it's in our cul-de-sac, but just be used. Maybe it's unnamed. Maybe no one ever knows. Maybe we don't even know. But Lord, let us continue to live and grow and learn of what that looks like. And yeah, we invite you. And We'd love to be used. Lord, watch over us and everyone in this room. Lord, it's in your son's precious name. It is in the name that is above all names. And the church says, amen. Thank you, guys.